Uh, four and a half years ago, I was a fly on the wall in a Lakewood Fellowship program that the yeshiva sent me to go to recruit for Chappelle's. And what Lakewood Fellowships is, is they take secular guys and they bring them to Lakewood for the week to learn. And then hopefully the guys will get involved in learning. And then we, we meet, we introduce them to different um, people, religious people in the business world to give over their stories. So I, gr- I was with those guys and I happened to have been uh, on that group. And, uh, and we went to Meridian Capital. And again, I was just, I, I don't, we didn't have any connection at all. And I was there. I got a great meal, by the way. Still remember you served spares to the guys. And you gave over your story. And I remember at the time saying, this was really an inspirational story. And then I saw the impact it had on the guys the next two or three days. And then I just sort of put that away in my back pocket. And that was my experience in Lakewood. And I got a chance to say it was in Meridian Capital in the city. Um, Baruch Hashem, um, Ralph's son, Menachem, um, is Baruch Hashem today married to a very Chashva Talmidah of mine. And while they were involved in their uh, getting to know each other, so I got to know Menachem over the phone a lot, and I got to know Ralph over the phone a lot. And uh, that's how my relationship sort of began. And on a very personal note, um, right around this time last year, I went through a little bit of a mini-crisis, which I don't want to get involved in, I don't want to speak about too much, but I really needed, and my family really needed a favor. And I called up Ralph, and I said, is there any chance you have a connection here, can you help me? Within three hours, my problem was, was solved. And what was interesting is that um, I've been speaking to Shev, to Shev, his daughter-in-law, and uh, I never told her what my crisis was. I said, but I have to let you know I have tremendous Akaras Atov to your father-in-law. And she said to me, and I, and I really, um, I, the message I want to give to the guys before to introduce you, just to let you know the message she said to me, somebody marrying into your family, she goes, Rabbi Lerner, this is my father-in-law's day. Every day there are probably... Forget about stalkers, forget chesed that are just being done on a constant level. She goes, this is just the family that I, uh, that I married into. It's just chesed after chesed after um, chesed. So, you know, if, I, if there's any message that I'd like to use to introduce uh, Mr. Ralph Hertzko over here, we can all read the bio about Meridian and millions and billions of dollars in business deals. But, you know, when all of a sudden your daughter-in-law can just say, My fa- I married into a family of chesed, you know, what other greater nachas um, is that? And she's at, she doesn't even know how many. It's just, she goes, it's too, no- it's too many. And the other thing that Chef told me, and I felt it also at the bris, she goes, Rabbi Learning, you should also know, my father-in-law can relate to everybody and everybody. A, a Rosh Yeshiva, a CEO of a bank, a Balabas and Shul, Everybody just feels a warmth when they meet um, Ralph, my father-in-law, my family. She goes, it's something that, you know, it's just, there's a warmth involved over here that, uh, you know, warmth and chesed just equals, you know, what, a, what an unbelievable formula for being successful. So in terms of a message to give over, to introduce uh, Mr. Hertzka to our yeshiva, and for the guys as well, is just the so many unspoken chesed's and so many um, unspoken war- just being a warm person and an approachable person and every everybody you meet. Uh, I'm not other. Sh- I'm not sure what other words of introduction I'd like to give except for those two those two messages. So without further ado, I'd love to introduce Ralph Furska to address the yeshiva.
Thank you, Reverend Lerner, um, for the warm introduction, and um, good afternoon, good morning. Well, thank you, everyone, for being here <coughs> and welcoming me to this. You remind me, um, I, I took one of the former Fed chairmans to dinner at a kosher restaurant, and he was so enamored. He said, Ralph, I'm 80 years old. I've never been to a real kosher restaurant. I thought I was going to get a bowl of soup with a piece of flanken. I got, a, I got a beautiful steak. The next day, I'm with him, and he introduces me to Lloyd Weinfein, the chairman of Goldman Sachs. And he says, Lloyd, I want you to meet my friend Ralph. He took me to a great kosher restaurant last night. I said, Steve, I've worked 35 years in my business. I get introduced to the chairman of Goldman Sachs, and that's the way he introduced me. <laughs> and he looked at him, he goes, so Lloyd looks and he says, well, what do you do? I said, I run a company, Meridian. He goes, oh, you're the mortgage guys. So he says, Ralph, you made it if Lloyd, Lloyd Weinfein, the head of Goldman Sachs, knows that Meridian is the mortgage guys. So I appreciate all you're talking about, your chesed, the chesed and everything. Um, I'm here because, you know, I'm going to share with you some of my history, um, the successes that I've seen in, in business, and really how, you know, I grew up and my background. So I'm going to start in the early part of my life. Um, <clears throat> I grew up, my, my parents, and I think it's important for everyone to understand because uh, we, we, all, we all know that our connectivity over the thousands of years, one generation, another generation, another generation, you know, dates back to, you know, all standing together at, at, at Hasinai this week so many years ago. And over the years, everything has happened and changed, but ultimately we're all Jewish neshamas that we're one people. And I can honestly tell you, you know, my father was in Vienna. He was... Uh, Holocaust survivor, but in a very unique way. He never was in camps. He was part of the kinder transport. And it's fascinating. The kinder transport was, it was a Dr. Schoenfeld who took teenage boys out of Austria very early on and got them into England. My father ended up in England. He ended up in yeshiva there. Just to cut through a long history, from there he ended up in Canada because Winston Churchill was convinced that Hitler's bombing was so, so had such precision that all these students were were spies. <clears throat> so he shipped them all off to, to to Canada. My father had a miracle. He, the, he, his best friend got sick, and he decided to stay back and not to go on the boat that he was supposed to leave. That boat actually was attacked. Um, he went two weeks later. He always never understood why the boat that he was on. The whole way to Canada had boats alongside it escorting him. When he came to Canada a few months later, he read that they sent the crown jewels out of England to Canada thinking that if, God forbid, you know, the Nazis took England, they shouldn't have the crown jewels. So he was saved. He came to Yeshiva there. Um, one of the most amazing stories, he wrote a letter to a rabbi and saying with ten students... Pesach is in two weeks. Can you help us get matzah within this internment camp? And the rabbi showed up. He was a very tall rabbi. He was six foot six, and he had a white beard. And he startled the British guard. And the guard looked up and said, Rabbi, you remind me of our Savior. Anything you want. <laughs> right? <laughs> True story. Anything you want, I will give you. He said, there is a list of ten boys here. 
I'd like to get permission to take them out. And it was a miracle. Adam and Turma came, took them out, took them into yeshiva. My father actually really see, losing his parents, all his grandparents, his uncles, losing everyone, being alone in the world. He decided that he was going to devote his life to learning Torah. And he heard a share from Aaron Cutler, who everyone knows was a legend in those days. And he ended up making his way to Lakewood. And he was a 27th student in Lakewood. And that was in, in 1946 to go to yeshiva was just unheard of. Lost everyone. Um, he was in Lakewood for three years. He, um, <clears throat> his grandmother survived the war, ended up here in Eretz in Israel. He went to Rabbi Cutler. He gave him money to go visit his grandmother. He came to Israel. He met his grandmother. He went into Chazonish, and he said to him, Chazonish, the great rabbi in Bnei Brak, he said, I'm single. I'm looking for a shidduch. I want a girl that's going to allow me to learn my whole life. 1949, to walk into the Chazanish and say it was unheard of. <clears throat> and just remember, there was no telephones. The country was a year old. The Chazanish said to him, there is a seminary in Gateshead, England, that is Mechanach girls, that their husband should sit and learn. And my father said to him, I'm actually going to England because my brother and, and sister actually that did survive the war are there. Crazy story, he goes back to his yeshiva, he falls asleep, he wakes up, there's a mashkiach there from Gateshead. He introduces himself and he suggests, oh, wow, you're single. There's a rabbi in town. He has an 18-year-old daughter. Provides that she's beautiful and smart. She has this crazy plan that she wants her husband to sit and learn. Well, guess what? That was, that was my mother. Um, and the craziest story, they got married six weeks later. Um, my father went to my grandfather, who was a very prestigious rabbi, and said to him, <clears throat> I know it's your oldest daughter. I'd love to go back to Lakewood for Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. Can you make the wedding quickly? And many years, my mom would say, you know, Daddy's a quiet man, but he was, he was stubborn. He, got, he went to my father, and we got engaged, and said, can we get married in six weeks so we can leave and go back to Lakewood? They left the day after Sherebrachas. They came to Lakewood, rented one room, and that's how they started the life. My mother, my father was said that the first, and the reason I'm sharing this with you because I want you to understand, you know, where my background and, and the challenges that came with. I grew up in a family that all they spoke about was sitting and learning. And my father learned in Kolo for 15 years, from 1949 <laughs> till 1959. He was in late from 46 to 59. He moved to New York in 60. He became a Rebbe. In a yeshiva, I was born in '62. Um, my mother said she very early on she realized that I was a little bit different than the other siblings, and I had, you know, I had very little interest in being the youngest of a family. I know it sounds crazy, but you know, being the youngest of a family that was—I never like to say poor because I think it's disrespectful to my parents—but we were one of those poor families growing up in Borough Park. I had an amazing mother. She was English. <clears throat> she gave me, you know, the freedom. I was, you know, I, I always say the story. I was eight years old, and I bought a new bicycle. And she said to me, where did you get the money for your bicycle? I said, I took it from your wallet. <laughs> and she said to me, okay, you don't have to take things. Anything you want, we can figure it out. And she was constantly negotiating with me to give me what I wanted, but I had to do certain things. 
I remember I was 11 years old, and I said to, I was starting to work on the stores on the avenue where I lived, and I knew there was like four weeks before Pesach, all the deliveries were coming in, and I calculated I could make $20 a day. So why would I ever want to go to Yeshiva if I can make $20 a day? So I said to my mother in the honest relationship, I said, Ma, listen, I'm going to play hooky, so I can sit in the radiator and get fever and figure it all out, or you and I can have a plan. And she said to me, I'll never forget, Daddy's going to be really upset if you don't go to yeshiva, so go to Hebrew classes, and I will call the stool that you can leave after lunch. And I still remember the principal walking in with a note, before his mother called, he has to leave after lunch. And where did I leave to? I went to work and stocked the shelves and sweep the barbershop and deliver the grocery stores, and I did this many times. And it taught me the most, I can tell you, I'll tell you about Meridian, I run my whole business the way my mother taught me at eight years old. I will literally call up a bank. It happened to me a few weeks ago, okay? I called up a bank and I said to them, we're doing this deal. There's something bothering me about it. I don't know what it is. We need to diligence this more. And the people in the company looked at me and they said, Ralph, only you can get away with it. I said, listen, the firm, let me tell you a little bit about the firm I built, and I'll come back to my history. Meridian Capital is today um, <clears throat> the largest um, privately owned financial service intermediary in the country. Uh, we have offices around the country. Numbers uh, was important. We did $60 billion of business last year. Um, you know, when Twitter got sold for $43 billion, I sent out an email and I said, guys, the only amount, the, the amount of deals that got done in the private equity space last year was $125 billion. Um, Twitter will take up $43 billion of it. Uh, Meridian did 60. We're not so bad, but my goal is to suppress that. And it was just Sometimes you've got to step back and, and, and realize, you know, what you've accomplished. And I'm going to talk to you a little bit what we do and how we do it. But getting back to my life, my mom, and people ask me all the time, who do you attribute your, your success to? And I always say, I thank Hashem. I think that I, I, I had a tremendous Hatzlacha and Mazel very early on. And then two amazing women. My mom, who really saw me through, saw the strengths in me. And my wife, who actually, when, when we got married and we were 20 years old, she realized a lot of these strengths and really was able to, and still till today, able to support me through all those things. But just, just going through some other quick stories, it became my bar mitzvah, so my mother said to me, you know, we really can't afford to make you a bar mitzvah. Um, your sister's 18 years old, we have to make a wedding. We'll make you a nice kiddish and shul. I said, no, 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 no. I'm going to have the nicest bar mitzvah in my class, and I'm going to pay for it. I got the money. I've been working. And she said, you sure you want to? I said, yep. So there were like three rich kids in the class. They had three-piece bands at the bar mitzvah. I had five, right? <laughs> it was called Josh Goldberg Orchestra. I went and negotiated with him. Literally, I made my own bar mitzvah, and my mother felt bad. I took all my gifts, and I paid. It was more important for me to have a party. And my friends still talk about it. I said, you were this little kid. You made this party for yourself. And we all knew your parents couldn't afford it, right? And it was literally carrying up, you know, it, it's funny how life works. You know, certain things when you think back. So I used to deliver boxes for groceries. It was a very famous rabbi, Rabbi Bick in Brooklyn. And I used to deliver, he lived in one of those three family houses. And I would deliver grocery stores. And he was a very 
prominent rabbi and had a very strong voice. Who's at the door? It's a delivery. Okay, take a dollar from the box downstairs. But if I went to the grocery store and realized there were three boxes, I made three deliveries. So I should get three dollars, right? But I was more honest than that. I did it over three days. But recently I realized this poor wife of his, she was baking something. She had to wait three days for ingredients. And literally it's been bothering me since then. I said to someone, I've got to find out where they're buried. I've got to go ask Mechila. I tortured this woman, right? Yesterday I get an email. Yesterday, it's been on my mind since I'm out and talking about this. I get an email from a grandson of Rebek that making a wedding. If there's any way I can help them. And I responded, I remember your grandfather well. I, I'm, I'm sending you $5,000. I didn't tell them where, why, right? But I was hoping that this is going to redeem me from torturing this, this grandmother 50 years ago waiting for her groceries for three days. I would never take $3 because that's not honest. And I wouldn't do it in one day. So literally, I remember coming into the grocery stores, why didn't you deliver the third box to Vic? And I would tell them honestly, I said, he gives a dollar tip every time. Why would I do three boxes in one trip and get one dollar if I can get $3? And I remember the grocery man saying to me, uh, you're a smart kid, right? But you know what? That's just the way I... I and, and I didn't think it was dishonest. I don't think it's dishonest. I think it was just... You know, a little bit gaming the system, and but it's been bothering me because I built a business that's based on 100% transparency and honesty, and, and I'm going to share with you some stories. And because you're all young, most of you are young, um, you're all thinking about your careers, right? And I remember when I was 25 years old, I met a banker, and I said to him, "Give me some advice." And, and this is something, my whole life I've had mentors. I meet people, I say, you're doing this longer than me? Up till today, give me some advice. And I'll never forget, he said to me, he said, I'm going to tell you something, but you're not going to appreciate it for 25 years. You know what, 25 years later, when I really appreciate it, I actually called him. He was 85 years old. I said, how would you remember me? He goes, I remember your name. Look what you've become. I said, you gave me advice 25 years ago. I don't want to thank you for it. He said, what did I tell you? So I said, you told me, and it was actually, he was a banker, and my business is banking, right? And I have the most unbelievable relationships with CEOs of banks, that if I call them and ask them something, they literally know that they can trust us 100%. And it's really, really something that I, I pride myself on after 35 years of doing this, and I'm totally paranoid about anyone in the firm. The firm is over 400 people. We have another company with 200 people. And people in the firm know that, you know, Ralph has tolerance, zero tolerance, if you're just going to be disingenuous and just honest. And it's also with clients. I literally, so let, let me tell you a little bit of what we do. So any, I'm sure there's many of you that have real estate families. So if you're buying a real estate deal, you're selling a real estate deal, there are many firms. There's CBRE. I'm sure you've seen these big firms. So then there's Meridian. Meridian will represent you to get you debt, get you equity, get you... Any type of financing, we will sell your buildings for you, we will advise you, we will lease your space. So we have hundreds of people that do this on a daily basis. I started my career as a real estate broker, and talking about an amazing wife, um, I came into real estate, it was nine, so at 19 years old, I sold my first building. I was in yeshiva, and I had a cousin who said to me, I have this building in Seagate, I'm trying to sell it, and I'd like to 
So I went down to look at it. It was really a dilapidated building, but I knew this contractor because I would hang out at all the different construction jobs, so I left construction. And I called him up, and he said to him, I want to show you something in Seagate. He bought it. The price was $400,000. My commission was $10,000. Right? 19 years old, 20 years old, a young guy. It was, it was good money. And I had made money every year, you know, selling circus decorations. After Christmas, I'd go down to Chinatown and buy it up, store it in the garage, came circus, sold it to the stores. Always, you know, was always wheeling and dealing. And, uh, and I was a tough guy. I mean, you know, I, I, I was the king of the Aravas business, right? Selling Hoshanas, right? And I had many guys that actually worked for me along the avenue, right? So I was always an entrepreneur, and my mother always gave me the space. <clears throat> and it was challenging, because my father, who was a rabbi, would walk down the street and see his kid, you know, working in a stocking store, and it really upset him. And I would just instigate him. He'd come home, I don't want to say him, but it's and I would, I would say, yes, there's all these new type of stockings. And What's Yeshiva boy doing in a stocking store? And he would get all upset. In fact, when he was 80 years old, I said to him, Daddy, I gave you so much aggravation. Please be mochum. He goes, you've given me so much nacha since then. Don't worry, I'm mochum. <laughs> right? But of course, we should all never have it. I'm sitting shiva for my father, and someone walks in, he sits in front of me, and he's just saying, he's saying, I, I remember how much aggravation you gave your father. I said, that is the most appropriate thing to do with a shiva. But it's okay, I forgave him because he meant well. But then he said, but I know at the end of his life, you gave him a lot of nachas. So we all, you know, and, and my father was the most amazing person, a huge Tamachacham. I said his, at his Levaya that I never heard him raise his voice. Can you imagine never hearing your father of 83 years old raise your voice? All I remember him is sitting and learning and davening. And one summer they were building a new building near my house, and I negotiated with my mother that I wouldn't go to camp. I would be on the construction site on the condition that I went to learn with my father one hour in the morning, right? And then like two weeks later, she said to me, don't think you're fooling daddy by showing up 15 minutes late, getting up after 15 minutes and learning. We made a deal, you got to stick to it as hard as it is for you. So that was the relationship. And, and I will tell you, I literally built the business. I hired a, a broker from another firm and he comes into my office. He says, okay, I got to sign up this deal because six banks said no to me and this one bank said yes. So I said, why would six banks say no? You know, so I pick up the phone to, to, in front of him. The guy was a new recruit from another firm. And I call up Jim and I say, Jim, you know this deal you gave us a quote on? He goes, yes. I said, what do you know about the deal that six banks don't? Because six banks turned us down. And the guy's looking at me. He goes, you're just killing my deal. So I put it on mute. I said, no, no, no. You're going to kill my business. <laughs> right? So Jim says to me, let me get back to you. Fifteen minutes later, he calls me back, and he says, Ralph, you're not going to believe it. One of our directors owns the property next door. He hates that owner. So when he heard he was selling it, he said, let's give the guy the money. He'll fix it up. But when I called him up and told him, I said, Ralph called and said, six banks turned it down. He goes, wow, that's why we do so much business with this firm. I would never allow a bank to do that. And, you know, you talk about, I literally have mentors that are, Irish Catholics. I have the famous story was I'm pretty close to I'm going to stay out of politics, but I'm pretty close to Donald Trump. And I was invited to the, the inauguration. I was invited to the inaugural ball. It was a Friday. I went down with my wife and my daughter. 
And on Wednesday, I had lunch with a non-Jewish Irish woman that worked for me. And she said to me, Ralph, are you going to go to the inauguration? I said, sure. She said, are you going to go to the inaugural ball? I said, Grace, now you need to understand, the non-Jew, and I learned this because I have, their, I have many non-Jewish partners, it's very hard for them to understand certain things halakhically. Yes, it's permissible that we've had this because we close our business on Shabbos and Yantif. We close 4.30 in the winter. They don't understand. It's not Saturday. It's Friday night, right? We close on Yantif, and, you know, we try to explain it to them, but I've learned that, you know, they're very black and white. They don't understand difference. I'll give you an unbelievable story. You know, I once hired a caterer, and the mashkir said to me, the party party wants to change the glasses. We're not going to let them. I said, glasses? Glasses not... You can't... Class can't be traced. They wear it. He goes, Ralph, you need to understand. The restaurant that you're doing it in is a Goyesha restaurant. They, are, they have kosher food. It was called Taveri 84. He said, they don't understand the difference between a glass and a knife. And if we allow them to change... to use their glasses, they will always, in their mind, remember. And you should know, I do not respond to emails... On, I keep two days yantif because I don't comment at all, but I do not respond to most emails on Matzah Yantif because I was once here for Shavuos and it was over and there was an email I responded to and the chairman, Steve Siegel of CBRE, responds. He goes, Ralph, it's so good to hear from you. I'm sitting in shul. Um, <laughs> where are you? Right? And I couldn't even respond. I'm in Israel because here now I violated, right, so I've, I've made certain rules. But I've actually called banks Matsuyantif. I've actually called banks here Matsuyantif, and they'll say to me, Ralph, how are you calling me? It's a holiday. I said, I'm in Israel. It's not. It's complicated. Anyway, so back to the Trump inauguration. Grace says to me, Ralph, I really hope you're not going to go, because when I was running your business, you were so... I'd be really disappointed if you went. But you know, we all have a Yetzirah, and how many times do you get to invited to four out of the five balls? How many times are you told... That we've worked it out. You don't have to go to the metal detectors. You don't even have this neighbor. You don't have to bring the, the ID. Anyway, I went to my rabbi, and he said, you 100% should not go. Maris and you're going to get picked up. Now, you need to understand, throughout my life, I've had many challenges with wearing a yarmulke, and I'll share some stories with you. Being in non-kosher restaurants, right? Sitting with a yarmulke, even though they bring you food, you know, what happens? You get known. People know who I am. Oh, I saw a meeting in this restaurant. They don't know that I had the kosher food brought to me. So do you sit with the yarmulke taken? I've, I've spent hours. And one of the things I'm really proud of is, as smart as I think I am, there's always a higher authority and the rabbis. And I will tell you, I'm blown away by some of the answers I've gotten where I thought I, I had, you know, the greatest answer. And then and I'll share some of them with you. But back to the inauguration... So we decided we're going to go. It's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. My Shabbos suit, Shabbos is 420. I have my ID, my license. I made a copy. I didn't want to lose it. I put it in my pocket. And everyone knew this was a big thing. By the swearing-in ceremony, I got flashed on TV, and I got like 100 texts. Ralph, is that you at the inauguration? And I said, this is Hashem sending me a message that you're going to get caught tonight. Someone's going to take a picture of you at the ball. You're going to be at the, on the cover of a Sun magazine. Don't do it. I couldn't do it. At 10 after 4, Jim O'Donovan, my Irish Catholic banker mentor, calls me up. says, Ralph, how was the ceremony? I said, it was really nice. He said, I really don't believe you belong there tonight. And it really hit me. I said, here's someone that I've, has helped me grow my life and my business. 
And I said, okay. I put down the phone. I said to my wife and daughter, we're not going. What happened? I said, Jim O'Donovan called me up and said, I don't belong there. And you know what? I've listened to him in business my whole life. I will literally make a chilashem if I don't go. And my daughter said, well, that, you know, and my wife, everyone, they were really good. I called my rabbi. I said, Rabbi, I'm not going. He goes, well, I said, but it has nothing to do with you. <laughs> he says, really? I said, it's an Irish Catholic. He goes, harbor shluchim lamakom. God has many, many things. And you know what? We didn't go. I went to Chabad, and there were 100 people. We had the most beautiful Shabbos. And the most amazing part of it was, I can tell you it was a challenge. Just let me tell you some of the challenges. You talk about a yarmulke. So I always worn a yarmulke, and... I was the first firm guy to go into the mortgage business 35 years ago. It was unheard of. People looked at me like, where are you from? I would go to a conference. What do you do? So around 25 years ago, I closed a very large loan for a large family in New York City. And Ashley was really proud. He said, Ralph, you did a great job. Why don't you and Judy, I knew them socially. We bought their grandfather's house in Brooklyn. Join us for dinner in Mar-a-Lago. This one, no one knew what Mar-a-Lago was. And it was around Christmas time. I said, you know, actually, I'm kosher. He said, oh, don't worry, Ralph. We have many people that eat kosher. We'll make fish for you. And I said, no, no, actually, I know that's not kosher in my stand. And he goes, will you come for dessert? I said, yes, I will come for dessert. He said, we'll have fruit. And if you need plastic, we'll get plastic. He was like really, you know, into it. And we're driving from Miami up. And my wife says to me, it's Christmas time. You're going to Mar-a-Lago. You think you're going to be comfortable with the Amica? And I don't remember the whole debate. But I decided, as I'm walking into Malaga, I take my yarmulke off and I put it in my pocket. Right? I come to the front thing, and oh, Ashley, his last name was Ashley Hoffman. Sure, Mr. Hoffman will be right out. He walks out, he looks at me, he goes, Ralph, where's your keeper? I told every one of my friends that this young religious guy is coming, wearing a keeper. You put it on, you never take it off. <laughs> and literally, I can tell you, it changed. I've said this story to hundreds of guys. I have... I have guys that are working. I have a boy that's getting married in England on June 22nd. We met him in South Africa. Really bright guy. He was working in an investment bank firm. He said to me, give me some advice about Ryamak. I told him this story, and I can show you many emails and texts to him. He says, I took my job, I wear my yarmulke, and I attribute it to your Malago story. And it's challenging because, you know, you know, how do you know how... And I, I will tell you and I want to make it very clear, I'm a New Yorker and I grew up in New York. It is much easier in New York. It's difficult in other places in the country and it's difficult in, in certain workplaces. But you know what? I, I will say something to you and I've met with chairmen and CEOs of some of the biggest banks and life companies and we get into this discussion. I had an amazing story and I'll come back to that. So who over here knows who Jack Welch is? Okay, so Jack Welch was the CEO of GE. He built the conglomerate. He was the most brilliant management when management style was very different. He had something called Six Sigma, and he also had something that every year he would, he would rotate and get rid of the bottom 10% of the company. And he felt that there was just... Humanity. I said to someone, if every yeshiva got rid of the bottom 10%, we'd have no yeshivas. But at the end of the day, just, just, just think about it, Right? And it was a brilliant move because people strive. So he had a seminar and you had to apply for it. I got accepted. There were 70 people. I will tell you, this seminar changed my life as a Jew for many reasons. I sat with the CEOs. I was young. I was not even 30. I sat with CEOs of some of the biggest companies. 
they were dignified. They were Harvard graduates. They were Yale graduates. They went to the bar. They had two drinks. What came out of their mouth was the most disgusting thing I ever heard in my life. And it changed my life. I said, you know what? You can go to Harvard, you can go to Yale. If you don't have Torah in your life, and, and we, we see what happens when us when someone's Torah we drink. We love each other, we hug each other, we say Dvar Torahs. It changed my life. Thank God I'm not a drinker, so I never had that challenge. But So I'm sitting at Jack Welch's table, and they bring me my kosher food. Now, somehow I think the companies that make the kosher food specially use a uh, cellophane wrapper that were, makes excessive noise. <laughs> then, then they use silver foil, so you get the African-American guy who's wearing his perfectly white starch shirt, so when you open it, you now spray gravy on it, right? They don't give you a nice piece of chicken. It's soaked in gravy. The string beans are sopping. It's, 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 an, it's, it's crazy. So I'm sitting there really quiet. I'm opening up this thing. And Mr. Welsh looks at me. He goes, what is that? <laughs> so I said, that is my kosher food. I'm wearing my yarmulke. So he says, oh, so the rabbi blessed it? Right? So I said, no, Mr. Welsh, I want to explain you something. It's not blessing. There's a certain process that we feel is very humane, the way we slaughter animals, we don't mix milk and meat. And he looks at me and he says, mm, that's interesting. I never heard of it. And then a minute later he goes, so how do you know it's really kosher? So now you're sitting with the chairman of the COG, your 27-year-old kid from Brooklyn, and he says to you, how do you know it's really kosher? And sometimes Hashem gives you special mazel, you say the right thing. And I said, Mr. Welsh, when I get on an airplane and the engine says GE, how do I know it's GE? Oh. He was flawed. He gets up, there's only 60 of us. He gets up and he goes, before I give my speech, this young guy stumped me today. Right? Every speech for the next two days, I got mentioned. Right? And I loved every minute of it, guys. Trust me, someone said, oh, you're embarrassed? I said, I'm loving it. How can I not love it? I'm an Orthodox guy. I stumped the, 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 the CEO. The thing, I challenged him. And you know what it taught me? It taught me, and it was not with arrogance. It was very humble, I said. And it taught me that if you're proud of who you are, and you know what your mission is, you can answer anyone, right? You need special mazel. Right? I can honestly tell you, I was in Spain at an Olami conference, and the topic was clarity. And I don't know if anyone remembers, Bob Streisand used to have a song, On a Clear Day You Can Sing Forever. It was a famous song. And my whole topic was, what does it mean, On a Clear Day You Can Sing Forever? It's perfect, right? It's clear, you see. It's the absence of clarity, On a Clear Day That You Can See Forever. If you have clarity in your life and you know where you're going, you can 100% see forever. If you know that there's no compromise on these type of things, whether it's in my business, it's, it's, it's Shabbos, it's Yontif, it's Rivers. And I will tell you, we bought a new business. We have a partner with Mass Mutual. And we spent three weeks with rabbis writing a memo to explain them, right? Mass Mutual, right? It's a $700 billion institution that we're going to close on Shabbos, on Yontif. And... My partner, Yoni Goodman, young guy, Goldman Sachs, he says, Ralph, 
you, you put these challenges on us. They're challenging. Anyway, the memo's finished. He sends it to them. The guy calls him up. He goes, Yoni, I grew up in Queens. I was a Shabbos guy. Just tell Ralph, don't worry about it. You want to close? You guys are so successful. We have the most respect for you. Don't even worry about it. You don't have to answer any questions. We'll put it in the file. You have our blessing. Nothing. So listen to this. The first Yantif. Rosh Hashanah. We're closed. When is Rosh Hashanah this year? Labor Day is Monday. Rosh Hashanah is Tuesday and Wednesday. So, unfortunately, we're a service business. We're servicing $40 billion of loans. And we have to report every evening to the investors. Just the way it is. How do you not report on Monday and Tuesday? Rosh Hashanah. So we sat with a very, we sat with a Bezdin, and they actually came up with a 100% halachic, permissible way how to do it. We have a Goyesha, we have a Goyesha partner. There's a difference between if he works for the company, he's a Koblenz. So very complex. In that process, we also know we have non-Jewish clients. If they decide they need a rate lock, right, how do we do it? We can't tell someone, a bank, you're basically a bank, we're closed Monday and Tuesday. While the office is closed, we have what we call the emergency. I, I look at it like on a plane, where you know, in case of emergency, pull, right? I say what it is. So this year, I get a call, Labor Day at 9.30 in the morning, I say, Ralph, we just want to tell you we're dealing with an issue. We have this client, he's, he's Jewish, he's a conservative Jew, and he, does, he says, I'm going to show my office is open, I don't want to be told that I can't rate lock tomorrow if I like where the rate is. So he said, we might have to, you know, enact the emergency process. I said, guys, I really don't want to do it if we don't have to, but we have a system. Let me know what's going on. 3.30, my phone rings. We spent the whole day. We tried to convince him. We just want to let you know that we're going to have to allow him to rate lock tomorrow. I said, guys, I had four guys on the phone. I said, this is the first Yantif that we have this business. Right? We had one. We sold it. We bought a different one. I said, we're failing the test. I said, I want to call Mark, and I'm going to ask him. I call Mark, and I, my, I say, I'm going to offer him, if rates move by Thursday, we will compensate the difference. And it could have cost us hundreds of thousands of dollars. I said, but if we fail in the first yantif, you know, and, and my guys were very respectful, but they said, you're not failing, you're doing... Anyway, at 4 o'clock, I have a call, I get on the phone, and I said, Mark, how are you? He goes, Ralph, I just want to tell you, I, I realize how important this is to you, I'm just going to wait till Thursday. I didn't have to offer him anything. And you should know, he called me literally last Thursday for another favor, and I had to call the CEO of a bank to get it done in one day, and I said, Mark, I'm, I'm pulling in a favor here. You have no idea what that meant to me. And he said, I want to tell you something, Ralph. I'm, I'm conservative. I, I grew up, but I have so much respect for the business ethics that you have built that if it was important to you, and he goes, listen, the truth is rates didn't move. Had rates moved, I wouldn't have been happy with you. And I said to him, had rates moved, my offer to you was to do that. He goes, I would never let you do that. I would never ask you to supplement me because your religious beliefs. And he said, you're just a wonderful person, your partners are wonderful, and God bless you. So this went from spending a whole Labor Day challenged so the guy realizing how sincere, because if we just said, okay, we'll implement the service, and by the way, I just want to make it very clear, it was halachically 100% permissible. It was not even a question. There's something called halacha, there's something called hashkafa. And I said, I don't want to be sitting in Shul Rosh Hashanah knowing that there is some type of transaction going on. 
It was much more of just an emotional feeling. Sometimes you just, you know, I use something I see. You can have all the great rules, but you know, I, but you just want to feel good about it. And I wouldn't have felt good. And by the way, it was a challenge, and I think we overcame it. I, I, I want to make it very clear: not everything works out so well. Life is full of challenges. I've had many of them. All right, and I don't want people to think, oh, he's standing here, he's successful. I've had challenges, health challenges, I've had financial challenges, and I think when you're, when, when you really are consistent, you know, we know that in the, in, in, in the basic ministry when they bought Carbonus, there was a carbon morning, the carbon in the morning, the carbon in the afternoon. It's a Kevin's Echad Baboka, it's a Kevin's Bashenu, and we get a lot of things, we, we get a lot of talk about that. Right? It wasn't, what was so, it was the consistency. People ask me all the time, what, how do you, advise people on success. And I say, first of all, you need to really believe in what you believe in. It was a, it was a, it was a great story, Rabbi Wallerstein, who just passed away. I just read, he was 17 years old, he was playing hockey, and he walked into his house, and his father said to him, I'm sure there's hockey players here, he said, how was your game? And he said, you know, the arena was warm, there was a layer of water, it slowed down my skating. So his father says, oh, so you lost. So he says, no, I didn't say I lost. I'm just telling you, he goes, winners don't complain. And it's such an important lesson. Us as Jews, us as firm Jews, whatever stand, wherever we're holding in our Yiddishkeit, if we really believe in it, and we really know that that is our ultimate goal, is to really be successful, have a family, show the world that as a religious Jew, you can, you can really uphold ethics, you can uphold business, you can be so successful. I tell it to people all the time, and I can tell you, I have guys that I've, that I've counseled that work at McKinsey, Credits, um, um, Boston <coughs> Consulting, I had one guy, he said to me, I'm really struggling what to do with my yarmulke, we spoke about it, he decided he's going to wear it, then he's for sure the first day, his office is all glass. And he said, how ironic is that, right in the middle. He said, what am I going to do about Minsky, it's the winter. I said, you'll have a mentor in the side. He's a serious guy. Anyway, that, the second Friday of his job, there was a conference call. He left late. He ended up having to walk a few miles home. Monday morning, his Indian boss walked into him and said to him, Jonathan, I heard you had to walk home on Friday because of your Sabbath. You make sure you never leave late on a Friday again. And he called me up. He goes, what do you think did I? I said, because you're a hard worker. You demonstrate to him. I had a guy who worked at Boeing. He was he became religious and he decided he needed to take off. And it's, it's always going to happen to you guys. I promise you, the first job you're going to have, the first yontif is not going to be Friday, Shabbos, and Sunday. It's going to be Monday, Tuesday, off Wednesday, back on Thursday. And he said to me, he went to his boss and he said to her, "I need to take off 11 days in the next four weeks." <laughs> but he did something that I admire him. He said, but I've already put in 40 hours overtime. I don't want to get paid. I want to transfer. She said, we've been wondering why you'd be coming at 5 o'clock in the morning. And she looked at him and she said to him, you got it. You got it. And this guy's been by me for Yantif. And I said to him, I said, you really thought it out. He goes, I, how would I go into someone else and take 11 days and say I'm going to make it up? If I made it up, how could she... And I, I said, look how brilliant that was, right? Just to come ahead. So we see that there's so many ways and opportunities. I can go on for hours, guys, and I want to I wanna try to end. Um, I, I truly believe that I've seen it.
having the basis of, of Torah and learning will, will, will make you more successful in life, make you more successful in your family life, with your friends. Um, someone just, I was on a panel with someone, and he, gave, he said a great line. He said, it's nice to be important, but it's more important to be nice. And think about it. The, the world of arrogance really is, is, a, is a myth. I've met some of the Jamie Dimes of the world, everyone. They're not arrogant. They're not, you know, maybe some of the young tech guys, you know, different. But in the financial world, people are successful and they're humble and they realize it. And, and, and that's really what, and I can tell you, I have many mentors that are very, very successful in business. And I will tell you, going through Corona and, and, and shutting down a company and running a business really demonstrated to you who people... It really brought out the true colors of people. And the people that I thought were just not good people, and we did business because we sh- they, it didn't take a month for them to show their true colors. Right? So, but then there were some people that really rose to the occasion. I saw it in the firm. I saw it, I saw it all throughout the, the whole... You know, two years. Meridian Capital was one of the first companies to get exposed. There was a New Rochelle. Everyone knows the famous New Rochelle exposure. I had three guys from New Rochelle. <clears throat> we literally, I got a call on Perm that we have exposure. We had the, Corona wasn't even known in those days. I mean, it was just happening. And we shut down, we, we shut down really early because literally the building we're in, the owner called us and they said, people don't want to ride in your elevators. And I said to my partners, I said, they're not going to say, there's a million square feet, we have, you know, 50,000 of it. They're not going to say, oh, they're going to say that Jewish company, let's just shut down, let's not give anyone any anxiety. And you know what? We shut down on the day after Perm. We, on June 22nd, when they opened up, they, we were the first company to have. But I want to share with you a Corona story that I say in it. And it's a lesson in life. Because we're all here at Shavuos. We're motivated. We're going to do well. We're going to change our lives. So Corona hit me really badly, um, um, monetarily, emotionally. Because I'm a guy that, you know, believes that, you know, I have success. Hashem is good to me. All of a sudden, I had stock portfolios that were just disintegrating. I had hundreds of people that I had to, didn't know what was going. And I was really worried that we were going. This was before stimulus, before anything. So... And then I was home. I got Corona really early. And my son Menachem came home from Israel. And was sitting there every day. I was, like, within the first two weeks, people were calling me, do you have a connection to this hospital, to this hospital? So I spent literally four weeks just trying to help people. It's not, I'm not talking about myself. I'm just talking about Mikam Yisrael, what the Jewish people did. I will tell you, the first um, two guys that came up with the plasma with two Hasidic guys that called me. They couldn't even speak English. The guy said to me, he goes, I spoke to the CEO of the Mayo Clinic. I said, it's not the Mayo Clinic, it's the Mayo Clinic. Right? <laughs> right? But you know what? He was brilliant. And I, to tell you the stories, I could spend hours with doctors and hospitals and what they do. But it really affected me. And every night I would literally sit down and cry. And I would say to my wife, I'm changing my life. You know what? I, I got to learn more. I can't be always focused on business. I'm a workaholic, guys. I'm not going to deny that. And the, you see what can happen. You can lose everything so quickly. And, and having such an amazing wife, you know, Mamil building this brand new, beautiful house, and I'm getting the estimates 
400,000 for this. And I'm saying to her, no, I'm not doing this. She goes, whatever you're comfortable, don't worry. No pressure. Don't feel any pressure. Right? And I'm like, every day I'm preaching to the family. You know what? We're going to change. I, I just want to say one thing because I, I missed this part. Like 20 years ago when I was realizing that I was having financial success, I, I made a real effort that the family should not be known, or just a rich family. We should really work on ourselves. I'm really proud of every one of my children, all five of them, have established themselves as true Bentaras, people that do chasadim and, and no arrogance, you know, any of that. I'm really proud. I want to thank Hashem publicly for that because that was something that is very, very special. Anyway, so every night I'm talking about Corona. I'm finishing up. Anyway, two weeks after Pesach, one of my partners called me. He goes, you know, if I went to the office yesterday, if it was a different person, there's no traffic. I said, you know, great idea. I'm going to go to the office. The next day, I'm driving in the Bell Parkway. There was not a car on the road. This is six weeks into Corona. Everything is shut down. My phone rings, and it's a guy, Freddie. I said, Freddie, how are you? He goes, I'm great. I said, you're great? What are you great about? He goes, I took a plane. I took a chef. I rented this big house in Orlando, and I'm partying. I said, wow, I got it wrong. Literally, within five minutes, I pick up the phone. I call my assistant. I said, Megan, you remember we heard about that ranch in Montana? Can you find out if it's available? She goes, ooh. I said, for me and my family. I said, Freddie went to Orlando with a private line. I'm going to show him what a, what a party is. Right? She calls me back 30 minutes later. And she says, Ralph, you're not going to believe it. It's got 30 cabins. It's available. It's got a runway. It's got, a, it's got fly fishing. It's got horseback riding. When would you want it? I said, to put it on hold. Right? I'm driving and I'm texting my friends. What do you think about going to Montana? In. What do you think about going to Montana? In. I come to the office. I do zero work for the next two hours. I plan this whole trip to Montana. Right? We're going to Montana. We're going to take a caterer. We're going to do this. Right? I'm all excited. Right? I come home. Seven o'clock. I walk into the door. My wife, my son, my daughter and son-in-law is in medical school. are sitting there. Walk in. Hi, Dad. How was your first day in the office? I said, it was good. 30 seconds into the thing, I said, oh, by the way, we're going to Montana. <laughs> wow, we're going to Montana? What's in Montana? What happened? I said, there's a runway. <laughs> 30 cabins. There's horseback riding. There's fly fishing. When Achim looks at me, he goes, Dad, you've never been on a horse in your life. <laughs> you've never fished in your life. And then my, my daughter says to me, so you're going to park the plane, a plane on the runway? What are you talking about? And I'm sitting there, and my wife gives me the eyes. Like 10 minutes later, I go upstairs. She goes, do you realize how badly you just embarrassed yourself? For the last six weeks, all you're doing is telling us that we're changing our lives. You left the house for two hours, and you lost your whole value system. <laughs> Guys, I had to go upstairs, go to the bathroom, text my friends, busted, we're not going to Matana. What happened? <laughs> I said, I told my wife, why would you tell your wife? <laughs> So tell your wife we're going on a business trip to Montana. Anyway, the bottom line is, it taught me another lesson in life. You know what? You can't change overnight. And I can honestly say to you, I've made some changes. I'm still dying to go to Montana. Right? We'll get there one day. And I'll send you pictures. And I won't horseback ride and I won't fly fish, but I'll, I'll just go there. But what I'm trying to say is, we're all human beings. We all have 
the Yetzirah. We all have challenges. I thank God to my wife, because I promise you I would have been in Montana, and I would have made a big thing, and it would have been all on Instagram. Meridian takes 30... And by the way, I had all the excuses. We were going to work there. And if you know anything about um, one of the biggest hedge funds, I think it was... Um, I forgot which one it was. One of the biggest hedge funds, Citadel, rented out the whole four seasons in Palm Beach. It has two wings. One wing he put all the families. There was a rule. No one could leave, no one get off. And they had unbelievable results through Corona because he took everyone. He brought the kids, he brought schools. And, you know, I looked at it and said, wow, I could have done this. And, but the message is consistency, and you always got to listen to other people. Thank God I've been blessed with a great wife that has always kept me in on the thing. But I'm trying to say is, there's always going to be challenges. We all have the ability to overcome them. I think I spoke too long, but thank you so much for listening. I hope it was enjoyable, and if you have any questions, please feel free to ask. You have a few minutes for questions? Sure. If you'll allow me, Rob, before we take the questions, I have to share one thing. Because Ralph, please don't tell me you were Montana in that ranch. Yeah. <laughs> Shh, don't tell my wife. <laughs> um, Ralph didn't talk about it, and he doesn't make a big deal about it. But if you uh, have any insight, in, insights into what's going on in the yeshiva world, I have a special recognition because I was in Mir Yeshiva when there were seventy-five guys, and now there are seventy-five hundred guys. Nine thousand. It's up to 9,000. You see, I'm behind the time. But I was there for, with 75. Um, but it's, I don't mean to correct you, Rabbi. I'm sorry to correct you, but <laughs> okay. we're very proud hey, of the hey, But Ralph is one of the main reasons because of his financial support directly and call him Ma'ase, Yoser, Mena'ose, a person who gets other people to give money gets more scar. But I have to read a Gemara that I, I have to share with Ralph. And there's a shot here that has to be understood. The Gemara says... A person puts his money into the pockets of a Talmud Chacham. He gets to sit up there in the next world. In the shadow of wisdom. There's some kind of an equality between Torah, wisdom, and money. And that makes no sense. Because we know you're going to take all your Torah with you into the next world. And I think one of the phrases is, when they talk about money, they remind you, you can't take it with you. This Gemara tells you how you take it with you. If you use your money to support Torah, the money becomes Ruchnius. The money becomes Torah. And do you want a lesson from Ralph that he doesn't talk about? You should know that Bezrat Hashem, you will have even a fraction of the success of Ralph. Make sure you use your money that you can take with you. And that's by making it support Torah. Thank so you. That's